EMS on the Mountain is an entertainment, educational and commentary product recorded by Sean and Mike and produced by them. Nothing recorded by Sean, Mike or any of the guests of the show is endorsed nor authorized by their respective employers or agencies unless explicitly outlined. All commentary and statements made are their own. Always follow your respective medical protocols. Nothing said on this platform should be considered medical direction. Now, on with the show. Welcome to the EMS on the Mountain podcast, a show for those interested in austere and wilderness medicine. This podcast provides insight into the unique aspects and challenges of bringing modern EMS into wilderness and austere environments. Holy shit, it's 2024. Yes, I can. The, uh, the countdown thing's going there and I'm like, holy shit, how do I start this thing? All right, so uh, it's been welcome so back. long. You know, welcome, welcome back, friends, to uh, the inaugural episode of EMS on the Mountain for 2024. Thank you for being patient over the longer than we'll assume longer than you would like holiday hiatus that we take to take care of all the miscellaneous administrative and personal stuff that goes on for us at the end of the year. So, uh, thanks for coming and if back. You didn't and listening. notice that we hadn't published an episode in a while. Well, then uh, thanks for really paying attention and being a strong fan. We really, really appreciate that. <laughs> yeah. too. <laughs> yeah, I'm, actually, I'm a little disappointed that fan number one has not uh, messaged us yet with uh, some hate mail like, hey, where the hell? I've been driving to work and I got nothing. Yeah, um, he's been a little busy. So well, we let's at? talk about what we're going to do, Sean. Yeah, there uh, we go. Turns out that uh, we've been doing this for, what, two years now? Yeah. So this will be year is three. Is that the right math? math. This is, we're coming into I'm year going three, with the and new, it turns out. Yes, yeah, I'm doing the new Euro pronunciation, and it's maths. It's maths? always plural. Uh, okay so it's always med maths yes okay come on man you you've watched ted lasso when they're doing the maths and the shit. maths yes and i, yeah, I don't know why they do that but. uh i mean i guess i can talk about the general region we're from so if if anybody knows anything about how the the uh, virginia department of health does maths that'd be awesome because <laughs> there's a couple of pennies missing <laughs> a couple of like, <laughs> couple of shekels i think we're working with pennies it's in the billions of pennies range yes it's a couple of billions of pennies here or there anyway so it's been a couple of years and uh we've enjoyed this ride and now you're all wondering oh my god are they announcing they're going to shut off the podcast absolutely not plus every youtuber around this time of year that does the it's the end of my channel then immediately says i'm rebranding to be something even better for the future well we're not doing any of that bullshit well, we have come to the conclusion that uh, that we're going to rebrand it better for the future. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying, oh. <laughs> we're not going to rebrand anything. We're going to keep this name forever, even though it may not be as applicable in the future as it has been in the past. So here's what's happening, boys and girls, girls and boys, they thems. EMS on the mountain is going to remain EMS on the mountain, and wherever applicable, we're going to talk about how the unique aspects of doing medicine in the mountains could be different or tweaked or whatever the case may be. But if you listened to one of our last episodes last year, we've come to the conclusion that uh, medicine in the woods is just medicine. And quite frankly, you can't do medicine in the woods if you're not very good at medicine. So this year, we're probably going to spend a little more time talking about medicine 
and a little less about medicine in a unique wilderness environment, because it turns out that you still got to be able to do medicine, even if you're in the woods or you're in the back of an ambulance or you're in a helicopter or you're in a hospital or you're in mom's kitchen. Yeah. Um, well, it, medicine you know, is medicine. And we're going to yeah. focus on that. And if you've listened to a lot of our episodes over the last two years, when we always talk about provider skills and using technology and everything else, one of the things we've always harped on is you have to be really good at all of your basic EMS, whatever your provider level is. You have to be spot on with all your foundational skills, you know, your patient assessments, knowing your pharmacology, your anatomy and physiology, all your stuff, right? Well, this is just a continuation of that. Your med maths, right? So this is just a continuation of that. And so, yeah, like I said, we're, we're going to probably explore some broader topics as they relate to EMS. We're, not, we're clearly not going to abandon the uh, the wilderness austere aspect of this, but not every episode is going to be so directly related. And to be honest, part of that is also after two years and almost 50 episodes, there is not a whole lot to keep talking about on the wilderness medicine side, unless you want to keep rehashing the same topics over and again. And we've had some episodes that are a lot of overlap, which is fine, but we don't want to just starting year three, start over with year one, episode one, like, hey, what is wilderness medicine kind of stuff, right? Um, mm -hmm. So you may or may not find some more value in the podcast with the way we're going to be doing this, but it is what it is. Like I said, or Mike said earlier too, it's like, we might talk about blood administration and well, let's talk about blood administration. And then what are the challenges if we're going to try and bring that to the wilderness or backcountry austere setting? And there's a lot, mm -hmm. it's not insurmountable, but if you were thinking about it as a program, yeah, there's a lot of thinking to do it more so than the urban services that use blood. So you know, we're just going to kind of broaden the horizon. We'll still try and tie as much as we can to that wilderness and austere medicine, because that is still where my passion lies, Mike's as well. But we're going to start talking about some yeah. what you might consider just traditional topics as well. And, and it, would, there's also going to be a certain amount of branching, right? Like I do plan on yeah. talking more about rope rescue and yeah. all of the things I see wrong in the rope rescue community in general. That is a topic that I've, for the last two years, I've stayed away from. Uh, here comes the joke for listener number one. I am an ITRA certified <laughs> rescue instructor. Level three um, people. Level, that's he's got patch too. <laughs> it's a longstanding inside joke. They're going to mock uh -oh. me incessantly for it. But to be able to talk about rope rescue work, quite frankly, is probably going to require me to get a little bit better video too. So there's a possibility. I make no promises on this episode. There's a possibility that uh, I'm going to actually do something with the YouTube channel that we built when we started this thing, that we've because been it's really hard to visualize ropids and knots and stuffs unless you can see the video of it. So I'm going to think about that and maybe do something with it. I'm not going to be like, the world's okay as paramedic and go build a studio in my basement. I'm not that cool. We don't have that many listeners. But, you know, if you tell your friends, maybe we will. And then we'll do things like that because well, we, you all love us. You track our listeners there, but... Over the last couple of months, we saw quite an exponential growth on the social media side, which for those of us, those of you out there that have liked our, well, we essentially were only on two platforms, the Facebook and the Instagrams, appreciate the likes and following. We have not been doing a good job of putting out stuff lately, but maybe next year it's we'll, the end of the we'll year. do better. Happens to the best of us. Uh, I mean, this isn't our full-time job, so oh, yeah, you know, this sometimes is life happens. Now, we appreciate it. We want to continue to grow this thing, but quite frankly... We kind of came to the conclusion here at the end of 2023 that continuing to talk about medicine in a wilderness setting was going to get redundant and it was going to get repetitive. And quite frankly, it was going to get boring for folks. We stand by the episodes we've recorded and they all 
they're all still very valid. And we're going to continue to talk about things as they're applicable to the wilderness environment. But to keep everyone engaged and happy, we also have to generally talk about medicine as well, because there's only so much about trees and rocks that one can talk about. <laughs> all, um, right. all right. What do you think there, Sean? Should we move well, on? yeah. So something else we're probably going to be doing a lot more next year is a lot less scripted work. Yeah. You know, last couple of years, we we put together basically some episode outlines with some generic, well, not generic, with some key talking points we wanted to hit, maybe some of the key stats or things like that. Uh, but I think you're going to find this year, it's a lot more of a freeform conversation for a lot of episodes where it's literally just Mike and I having a conversation, giving, and again, I don't know if we do a disclaimer or not anymore, but uh, the opinions you hear on this episode, or all of them, are, are ours, right? Don't take it for That's a, any agency we support, blah, blah, blah. That's um, a great reminder to for me to go record a new one that basically is like, hey, these are my opinions and Sean's opinions, and uh, that's the end of the opinion rant. Yeah, but I will definitely record a new one for 2024 because we're going to go deep. We're going to go hard. We think, uh, well, between the two of us, we have a combined almost 50 years of experience doing medicine. And that results in two old men with a couple of opinions here and there. And we're going to let you know what they are. Yeah. And so uh, with that, I think we're going to hit up uh, the first official topic of 2024. And we're going to kind of circle back to one of our closers from 23. And we're going to talk about degree requirements for paramedics. You'll recall if you if you listen to our episode in the, near the end of 23, we had a discussion about the a proposed paramedic practitioner, which is a master's degree level paramedic who has independent authority to practice, very similar to like a nurse practitioner, I would say is probably the closest analog. And so we had a discussion about that, but Mike wanted to circle back this year because he's had some other thoughts not just not i don't know if he's really got much more on the, the practitioner level but certainly we want to talk about just paramedic education and degree things in general so with that mikhail what do you got for us well i think some of this is going to be rehashing what i said before some of this might seem new first off i'm going to stand by my statement that the world doesn't need a paramedic practitioner that's a billing problem as was somewhat discussed on facebook but i have I have reevaluated my stance on pre-hospital medicine and degree requirements in general to act as what I would call a standard paramedic. Now, full disclosure, my partner here, Sean, has an associate's degree in pre-hospital medicine, I believe, right? Or was it a pre an associate's degree in paramedicine? It's an associate's degree in paramedicine. And it's Eastern one of like Kentucky 87 University. degrees he has. Go Colonel. Well, <laughs> he's really bored and then he goes and gets another degree. It's kind of a true story. I hold a degree. I hold a bachelor's degree in uh, my chosen profession. It is not in medicine. But I got thinking about, am I a better paramedic because I have a bachelor's degree? And I think I'm going to say yes. I do not think it is a requirement to become a stellar paramedic. I know amazing practitioners of paramedicine that have never gone to college. However, when I think about the future of paramedicine and I think about the healthcare continuum in general, I think the patients are probably potentially better served by having more well-rounded individuals providing them care. And I think 88%, 88 to 92% of the education that you get in a standard four-year degree program, especially in America nowadays, is a waste of your fucking time. Hmm. Uh, come at me, Harvard. Come at me. <laughs> but. Uh, the process itself may actually have some value. 
So here's what I mean by this. I, I do truly believe going to school for the purpose of going to school doesn't make you a better person. But I do think the act of going to school teaches you either actively or passively the process of troubleshooting and thinking on your feet and following through on tasks and better grammar and how to write and how to think through things. And I don't know. I'm, I, I mean, everybody can come at me on the book face or the grams of Insta and agree with me or disagree with me. I will stand by my argument that the patient is not better served by having a paramedic practitioner do things for them, right? I'm going to pretty openly talk about uh, an event that has occurred to me in recent days. One of my parents had a massive MI. Historically, heart attacks, right? ST elevation on the, on the, uh, on the 12 lead has largely been thought about as a paramedic skill set. In some ways, depending on your background and how long you've been doing this thing, right? Cardiac is really the only thing in some jurisdictions, depending on scope of practice and protocols. Cardiac rhythm interpretation is really the one thing that separates a paramedic from like an advanced EMT or other provider levels in some systems. But when I thought about dear old Ma rocking that STEMI, there's nothing a paramedic's going to do for her. There's, there, there was no improvement to her care. There was no improvement to outcome by having a paramedic in the truck. EMTs are perfectly capable of reading the dot, dot, dot ST elevation on the top of a monitor strip and dropping some aspirin in the gullet and driving faster. When it comes to cardiac arrest, we've, we're largely learning through recent studies that loading people up with epinephrine might get the heart to pump, but it basically kills the brain, and they're basically a vegetable if and when they leave the hospital. So for a, a, at least a subset of the things that separate a paramedic from an EMT or an advanced EMT level of care, it doesn't make a lot of difference. Like diesel and get to a cath lab are still the determining factors for people having MIs. So when I think about it from that particular, you know, that very narrow scope, that very close to home experience, adding additional skill set to a paramedic is not going to change those outcomes. And doing things like, oh, we're going to do an ultrasound of the heart to determine if there's a blockage. Well, you're just wasting time. And it turns out that the people that specialize in doing nothing but catheterizing cardiac muscle, they're really the ones that should see the person as soon as humanly possible. You're not going to shoot die. You're not going to take x-rays. It's not happening, right? I know, I think it's Philly. I think it's Philly. Somebody tell me if I'm wrong. They actually have mobile CT units that go to stroke patients. They have like a CT scanner built into an ambulance that like does a CT on scene. And then after they're like, yep, Sure looks like a stroke. You know what they do? They drive them to the friggin' hospital so that they can go do whatever need be done. I think these mobile integrated teams can administer TPA. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, if, if anything requires a surgical, a surgical intervention, adding a, a, a master's degree program to a paramedic doesn't change the outcome that you need to go to a building with a whole bunch of people in a really bright room to do surgery to affect the outcome for the patient. I'm pretty sure that uh, the way the paramedic system is structured today, I could administer TPA right now if my medical director let me. Mm -hmm. But nobody's going to be like, hey, dude, hey, paramedic guy, push it prophylactically just in case it's not a brain bleed. Right? We're not going to do that. So I still haven't been able to normalize in my mind where a practitioner level certification will result in a better outcome for the patient. I'll pause there. What do you think, Sean? Am I, am I nuts? No. And I... And again, not to, I don't want to belabor the practitioner piece too much, but the only thing I'm going to offer with that is 
over the last week or so, I've been doing a bit more research on like the UK and how the Brits do their paramedic programs. And just because a lot, everybody throws up, oh, but the Brits and the Australians, you know, with the degree requirements and stuff like that, they like to use those as a model. And you have to understand, you have to have a good understanding of what those certification levels mean. And I'm going to caveat this with, I am definitely not an expert, but here's what I understand, right? So I'm not going to go into Australia because I'm not as well-versed in that, but generally speaking for the UK, it's a bachelor's degree, which for them is a three-year program. But prior to this three-year program, or in conjunction with, depending on the school you go to, et cetera, you also have to complete what we in the US would call, you know, a lot of your core classes like English and math, et cetera, right? So it's not like they're going to school for three years and all they're learning is paramedicine. They've still got a lot of that, we'll call that those core curriculum subjects. But when I'm looking at a paramedic level practitioner, which is something they have started to go to, it is not, those guys are not responding necessarily to the, well, for Britain, a 999 call, right? Mm-hmm. There, it's more, it's much more community paramedicine response, right? They are truly extending hospital level care, you know, an extension of the hospital and the physicians out into the homes of, of the constituents. And in that instance, yes, like I can get on board with that. And it's, I don't think the practitioner level belongs in the 911 system because as, as Mike alluded to, being an independent level practitioner, me able to prescribe you some, I don't care, Motrin for your low back pain from shoveling snow is, uh, isn't going to make a big difference on a 911 call, right? That's a community paramedicine thing. And that could be, that's a dispatch issue. It's a response model thing. It's, there's a lot of stuff that goes into that fix, but that's something that the UK has been figuring out over the last few years, especially with, if you look, well, those guys, you know, we, we complain if we got wall time, like 20, 30 minutes in an ED before we get a bed or I can do a turnover. Those guys are looking at seven or eight hours of sitting in their ambulance or in the ED before they get turnover with a nurse and can transition patient care over. So they're trying to find ways to mitigate a lot of this stuff. Like if we come to ED, if this is what you got, we can send this guy to you. And they're using a lot more practitioner level type paramedics for that work. Yes, I'm not, I'm not opposed to practitioner level paramedics. I just think we've got to look at the, the use model. Like wh- why are we doing this? I'm kind of with Mike, like right now, there's nothing in the US that supports the use of a paramedic practitioner. So there's a lot of stuff that needs to change in order for that to be what I will call a viable career path for people, right? If you're in a jurisdiction that already doesn't use community paramedicine, you suddenly having a a master's degree in being a certified paramedic practitioner and you work for a a 911 system, cool, right? Like it's, Mm -hmm. it's, I I don't think it's going to change much. You're not bringing a lot of the things that go into practitioner level care to the field. And we're not going to, I'm not going to, at least me, not going any deeper than that. But I am. I even spent time thinking about. Well, I was going to say, and I know we're going to discuss this, but I am a much bigger proponent of at least an associate's level degree for entry-level paramedics. Mm -hmm. I believe that should be something that we do that just needs to be quit listening to the grumpy old men in the profession, and it just needs to be a thing. And I'm sure Mike's listened to him too. There's a few podcasts that have been out there that have been talking about not just the practitioner level, but college degrees in general. This has obviously been a hot topic for years now within the community. But nursing- And it's heating up. Well, 
one of the things I learned on one of these various podcasts is nursing went to a degree requirement when the NCLEX said you had to have a degree to sit this test, right? It wasn't the nursing community got together and said, we should all have degrees because they were much like us. Like, how does a degree make me a better nurse? If I went to school for this long and I've got my nursing certificate and I can still do my job as a nurse, what is having this degree going to do for me and my patients? And at the end of the day, not a lot necessarily. There are some caveats that I would like to talk about when we discuss this later, but we've all seen where nurses are at now, right? Why does a flight nurse working on a helicopter right next to her flight paramedic partner, who are both of them doing nearly identical work, and in some places, absolutely identical work, but she's making 20K more because she's a nurse, right? And obviously, everybody's argument is like, well, is getting an associate's degree going to suddenly give me a 20K pay increase? The answer is absolutely not. That goes back to a, it's a billing and law problem that we have to fix, but that's a whole different thing. Yeah. But I'm a staunch supporter of a degree requirement for paramedics. And for all of you that hate the registry, I, I really don't get that. They must have really hurt you as a child. I don't know. You can show me on the doll where they made you feel bad. It's because they failed. Well, that's, my, that's always my theory is you find their test way too hard and it's do better then. Um, <laughs> I know I, I'm kind of a dick when I say that, but whatever. No, I, look, when the I have failed tests in my life. Like, yeah. I needed to do better. And then I passed like, yes, <laughs> problem hey, solved. I had to, uh, would I have to retest paramedic dynamic cardiology oh, right. or whatever it was? Yeah. 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 <laughs> I remember that. So, I mean, as like a good I friend of mine once said one. was, uh, the minimum wasn't good enough. It wouldn't be the minimum. Right. Right. Like just meet the minimum, yo. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, uh. so with that, so for all you National Registry folks out there, in five years, I want you to make it a requirement that paramedics or people applying for paramedic licensure have a degree. Do it. And of course, all you people that want to wank and complain, I'm sure you'll be grandfathered like all the nurses were, right? Mm -hmm. So you can finish out your career being angry Sweet. on the bus. I can keep practicing medicine. Right? But anyway. That or I can just Mike. go get an associate's degree. Yeah. Back over to you, Michael. <laughs> well, so that really kind of summed up where I landed, right? I was thinking that, look, we got like five comments, which is more than any other episode we've ever done. And those comments made me think, I still don't believe that we need a master's level practitioner, paramedic, wizardry, doodad, who's a jimmer jammer. <laughs> but I do think a degree, a, a degree requirement for paramedics is probably a good idea. I mm. think the act of going to school. Now, I think I would probably argue that an associate's degree is sufficient. Uh, in, I would concur. In, in addition to paramedic education. Yes. You know, and nobody likes teaching, taking, you know, underwater basket weaving or whatever to get their last credit. But lesbian dance theory, whatever. Right. Um, <laughs> a way to build a listener base, my friend. Hey, <laughs> man, it's a class that's out there. I can, I can send you a link in case you're interested. I'm definitely not. But I do think a degree makes for a more well-rounded professional. And... If that's truly what we want to do, we want to professionalize the job, then maybe it's worth reevaluating, right? Maybe it's worth putting some more thought into. But I'm going to go back to what I did say in the last podcast. Let's stop trying to level up until we improve the baseline. Yeah, that's where I'm at. It's like, let's, let's build associate level paramedics before we worry about building master's level paramedics. And look, but there's, there's, <laughs> I, and I said at the, well, I'm going to say a super controversial thing now, because I did say at the beginning of this episode that we're going to get more controversial. The billing system is broken. Oh, 100%. Uh, 
the tech system is broken. And uh, here it comes. If you really want to do good pre-hospital medicine and you want to have professional pre-hospital medical care, the United States should probably consider bifurcating the fire service from rescue. And wow. I don't mean that in a, like, it's ever going to happen sort of way. And I don't mean that in a, the reality is someday it's possible. I don't think any of those things are true. But the reality is there are very good firefighter paramedics in this world. And every one of them that's really good at being a firefighter paramedic worked really hard at being a really good paramedic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and firefighters are expected to be able to do too many things to yeah. be masters of all of them. Well, and and as you and I both know, and I'm sure hell, and everybody out there that listens to this that is also a firefighter paramedic, career side, paid guys. Half of them uh, want to shoot me now. Well, not that. Well, there's a lot of them will agree with you, but ask them, why did most of their firefighter compatriots go to paramedic school? It wasn't because they want to be paramedics and ALS providers. They want that pay bump because the vast majority of fire services out there, like where I'm at, you become a paramedic, you get a 10K pay raise, right? 10,000 bucks for going to school for nine months or a year, whatever it is, right? Like you make a significant jump, right? And so there are a lot of people that go to become paramedics in the fire service because they want the money, not because they really, truly want to be paramedics. And good on you if you do it. I don't care. Just don't suck at being a paramedic. I mean, that is what it is. But that, I mean, that goes to mm-hmm. dirty volunteers and everything else, right? I don't care what your level is and what your pay status is. Just don't suck at your job. I resemble that comment. But I agree. Like, you had to fix a lot of EMS stuff. And I don't, I won't necessarily go so far as to say it has to be completely separated from the fire service, but I wish it would be. And here's part of the problem too, is in the vast majority of jurisdictions, and we've had this talk before, EMS is not a required public service, right? Fire and police. Very few jurisdictions put EMS as a required public service, right? As a mandated, you will have EMS. Like few and far between, actually, which is, if you think about it, shocking. It's where does the revenue for most new fire trucks come from? EMS. EMS. Right? I will say outside of a few of the very large metro cities that actually still run predominantly a lot of fire-related calls. And by the way, most of those jurisdictions have a separate third-service EMS provider as well, whether that's private EMS or third-service municipal. 90% of fire calls are EMS calls. You know, that's Mm -hmm. just the way it is. So do we necessarily have to separate? I won't go so far as to say absolutely 100%, though. I didn't, fire... To be fair, I didn't say it has to be separated. No. But I said we got to put some serious thought into it, right? Because I know I know really good firefighter paramedics that love doing medicine, and they ride the medic unit because they love doing medicine and couldn't give two shits about wearing a fire jacket. Oh, yeah, right? I know several, right? Yeah. And I know a lot of fire medics that I probably wouldn't let touch my sister well, I'd probably let him touch my sister, but my mom that are doing it because it's a way to make more money and catch some, uh, catch some coin to uh, get Mima to the hospital as soon as possible. And if we really, truly want to, the whole discussion about practitioner level paramedicine that has been going on forever has been about raising the bar of care. Well, the first step in raising the bar of care is the whole rising tide thing. And everyone's got to care about raising care. And I don't think the fire service as an adjunct to that is always aligned with providing the absolute best 
cutting edge, innovative pre-hospital medicine out there. There are a lot of providers out there that wear fire helmets that love doing medicine. And I'm not talking about them. And I'm not talking about the guys that did it for a pay bump either. But I'm saying that as long as EMS takes a back seat yeah. to the fire service, it's going to be harder to raise the bar. Well, not just that, but well, let's think, what was the one organization that fought the loudest against degree requirements for paramedics? Fire. Oh, wasn't this a, yeah, it was the, a fire, I, yeah, it was the, the fire unit unions and stuff. And it's like, why? Because it's weird because you guys are lobbying to get degree requirements for promotion to like captain in chief, et cetera. But you don't want your paramedics to like, what's, what's up with that guys? It's kind of weird. Right. But I think the one thing you hit on, we kind of glossed over quick is the billing model, right? Like we have to get out of this. We bill for mileage and transport that, I mean, that is the legacy seventies O2 and transport model. Like when I first went to EMT mm-hmm. school in 1996, yes, folks, I said 1996 before many of you were born. Half of you weren't alive then. Yeah. I mean, it was, that was the old school days of BLS where it was almost literally O2 and transport. The solution to almost every <laughs> clinical scenario you got was provide O2 and transport because outside of splinting, there was not, there was nothing else, right? So Johnny and Roy, baby, S-A-N. calling in to do a 12 lead. Yeah. No, they had three leads, dog. No, calling in to do a three lead. Yeah. Yeah. Let me tell you about the first time 12 leads came to the field and we were like, what is this witchcraft? Get out of here. This is bullshit. <laughs> um Yes, folks, I've been that long that pre-hospital 12 leads were not a thing when I first became an ALS provider. (laughs) So, and don't get me wrong, that's amazing now. That's like phenomenal. But it's the billing model, right? We got to get out of this fee for transport and get into the fee for service, right? Doctors don't go, Mm -hmm. well, I moved you from the ED to the floor, so now I get money. It's like, no, I prescribed you Tylenol, I conducted this evaluation here, and I provided you with a working diagnosis, and this is what it cost. This is not a discussion people get into. Healthcare in America is bullshit. Whatever. Look, there's but a the large thing is, is we've got we've to fix the billing thing, right? right? So like, as a paramedic, I show up on scene, your blood sugar is 32, get a line going, give you some D10, wake you all up, you're nice and happy in your refusal. I should be able to bill for that service, right? I just used mm-hmm. supplies, medications, and provided so much time of paramedic and EMS level service that you should get billed for that, right? And it shouldn't just be like, oh, didn't transport, you get no money for that. You know, it's kind of like, well, pretty soon we're going to get to a point where it's like, do you require an intervention? Cool, get in the back of the truck. Because there's a reason a lot of EMS agencies, both career and volunteer level, are having to close their doors, Right. If you can't make enough money in, in the revenue generating streams you have, then you've got no choice, right? Because ambulances mm-hmm. don't run for free. Like they cost money, right? Maintenance, fuel, et cetera. Medications are not free. EMS agencies don't get donated ketamine from pharmaceutical companies, right? They got to buy the stuff. Same with, mm-hmm. you know, with the Band-Aids and everything else, it costs money. And so we've got to fix the billing model is a big piece, right? There's a lot of stuff that has to happen together. Ideally, we fix that billing model right away because, I mean, that's a legislation. Let's just fucking get over it and get it done. And then let's start talking degree requirements. And I'm a staunch supporter, associate's degrees for paramedics, right? College level, anatomy, physiology, biology, psychology 101, right? Talk, think about it, right? As a paramedic provider, when you get those, the unknown medical call, which turns out to be, you get the calls for the suicidal ideations, panic attacks, all those I won't say they're all mental health, but a lot of mental health type calls. Well, you Mm -hmm. know, in a nine month, 12 month paramedic program, you get like maybe a 30 minute touch on 
mental disorders and how to try a little verbal de-escalation of things. But if you actually had to take a, a Psych 101 class, give you a little bit more insight, you're not going to be a psychologist. You know, you're not going to be somebody that's doing any significant level of counseling, but it'll give you at least a better baseline on how to deal with some of these problems because you have a better understanding of the problem. Right. Same with the anatomy and physiology and biology. Right. Do I like I took the classes because I had to in the degree. Did I really give a shit about cellular respiration? At the end of the day, no. I mean, let's be honest. Does my understanding as a paramedic of, of really the Krebs cycle, th- does it really make a difference? Not really. It just helps me understand the body's systems better and why medications or disease processes happen the way they do and why they have certain effects. So it helps me understand the patient's condition. It might help me understand my treatments better. Like, why would I give albuterol for this instance? Why why would we give nitro for CHF people with pulmonary edema? Like, if you don't understand what nitro is doing and how it's working in the body, and they just say, give nitro, well, then shit, we just need six-month programs. And you're like Johnny and Roy, where you can't do anything without direct supervision. Mm-hmm. Back in the day, depending on where you're at, yeah, nurse had to come to the field to supervise you giving the med that you already had in your box, right? Even with online medical yeah. control as it was. And so having those classes, plus, and honestly, math, like when you and I went to paramedic school together, week one was med math. And before you could proceed in the class, you had to pass the med math exam. And we had people literally breaking down, crying those first two classes because they were getting their asses kicked. With med- there was a surprising number of people that were not there on week two. Right? And I found it absolutely shocking. And then I realized that uh, apparently Americans can't do math. Well, and that's the thing. And that's what I've learned. And so have basic, because my college math for my bachelor's was math for liberal arts majors, right? I'm not a math dude, right? Much to my mother's chagrin. I'm not a math guy. Like she used to, you know, tutor people in trigonometry and calculus and stuff. And not this guy, right? But I have a good basic understanding of general math. Like I can add and subtract and multiply and do my foundational math skills. Plus I can do fractions and I can do decimals, right? And apparently you can do weight-based dosing because you pass. Because I I can do the math, right? 2.2 pounds per kilo. Let's do it, dog. Right? Hey, baby. And then, and again, English class, right? Like, holy crap. Have you seen, you've seen it, right? Because you and I in both in, in various agencies, we've had certain duties where we provide some level of QA and read reports. And yeah, and it's like, yeah, we read reports, wow. we preset people. We like, where did you go to school, my friend? Cause this is horrible. Right. So having a foundational English I'm class, dyslexic as fuck and math. spelling is not my friend, no. but I at least take the time to use a spell checker to make sure I spell all those fancy medical words that I think I know what they mean. <laughs> at least I use a spell checker to try to spell them right. People don't even do that. And I think that is the sort of thing you're going to learn in college. Like, hey, it turns well, out you're going to fail is. this paper. Well, I'm taking, you uh, take an you English, you know, like English composition spell. 101, basic English, like writing stuff. Yes. Reading comprehension, if you have a college degree, like you clearly have to be able to read and study and comprehend information. Well, as a paramedic in your continuing education, that might be beneficial, right? And again, all those medical related stuff, anatomy and philia, physiology, biology, philiology, if, depending on your program, if you have to take a full pharmacology class, which Thank God I didn't have to do a full pharmacology because that's getting deep into a lot of drugs. That That's just deep, right? So yes, I think the associate's level is the right level for entry-level paramedicine. And I think that's the way we need to go. Get that initial baseline going, fix our billing model. And then, yeah, we can start progressing the profession. Until then, man, it's going to be guys coming in for three to maybe seven years 
as the average, and then they're bouncing. They're going to nursing. They're finding other jobs. Maybe they're going to med school now. I don't know. But very few people stay, especially those that are outside of the fire service, because that's a different pension and job thing, right? So mm -hmm. you mm -hmm. stick it out for 20, 30 years in the fire service, and most places you get a pretty good retirement gig, right? Pretty decent retirement coming, yeah. But if you work for one of these private ambulance companies, you work in a facility transport, maybe you're never a 911 guy, but you did 30 years working for Billy Ray's inner facility, and you did, maybe you did critical care transports for 30 years for Billy Ray's ambulance service. At the end of the day, what did, what did you do, right? Like nobody stays mm -hmm. in those, we'll call them private services or the third service stuff for careers at the level they do for the fire service, right? They come in, they do a few years and they bounce, they, whatever it is, maybe it's something better, it pays better, which is usually, nobody wants to talk about it. It's like, this isn't the real reason people are leaving. It's a huge motivator, right? Like, why am I not a career paramedic, folks? Because I don't want to take a 50% pay cut to become a career paramedic, right? And I'm, I make decent money at the job I do, right? And I'm not going to drop down to making what I made when I was 21 and a young enlisted Marine uh, mm -hmm. to be a career paramedic, right? Like, that's just not happening for me and my family where I'm at. So we got to get the profession built up just like nursing did, right? I mean, mm -hmm. again, one of those podcasts, they're talking about the first nursing degrees were like way back in the day, like way before most people think they were like in the 30s and 40s. But it didn't become a thing until the NCLEX said, you all have a degree before you can take this test. And so until we develop a forcing function, and, and I will put it out there, until the EMS community has the moral courage to stand up and say, you know what, this is going to be a thing, we're going to do this. And starting in, you know, 2030... Every brand new paramedic is going to have an associate's degree. Mm -hmm. uh, until we do that and we put in a forcing function like you cannot sit for your te your state office of EMS or the national registry. Like most, most states now use the registry for at least for their initial certification. Until we make it a requirement like, hey, you can't sit this until you have your degree or say you finish your, your nine-month, 12-month certificate type program. It's like, okay, here's your four online classes you now have to take. And you've got 12 months to complete this or 18 months, whatever it is. And then you now have your associates and you're now, you know, you, you can be working. You can do these classes online because you can take anatomy and physiology online. Ask me how I know, right? And you still need to have, yeah, you can knock out your, your two-year degree within a two-year time frame still. And if you start off your paramedic program with that stuff done, I mean, think about it, right? Like right now, in order to be an accredited paramedic program, you have to be associated with a college or the mm -hmm. other alternate alternative is with some other, generally it's a 911 system as part of a consortium, right? So you have mm -hmm. to be sponsored either by a 911 EMS system or a college, right? So, yep. and that's to be an accredited paramedic program. So if you're already requiring these programs to be accredited and affiliated with the college for, in most instances, it's not that hard to continue it on set them up so they have just a few more classes they need to take. And then boom, you have your degree and off you go. Anyway, off my soapbox. No, so I think I think we're sort of revising. I think you and I are both revising too. We do not see the necessity for a paramedic practitioner, at least not yeah. right now. Exactly, not yet. At least not right now. But uh, an associate's degree is a starting step to paramedicine makes a lot of sense to us. Yeah. And uh, I will advocate for that all freaking day. So let's stop shooting for the stars when it turns out the foundation is cracked and fucking broken. Let's go fix the foundation first. And with that, Sean, I think I'm just going to end this recording right now. Yeah, I'm, that's good because I'll just keep saying the same thing over and over again.
I'm on loop now. Okay, well, then. <laughs> All right. So we look forward to 2024, people. I hope you're still listening by the end of 2024. I hope we're still doing the podcast by the end of 2024. But I'll tell you right now, I think we basically have enough episodes planned to uh, get us through another freaking calendar year. So uh, we do. This is happening. And uh, goodbye. If you have any questions or comments or ideas for show topics, you can send us an email at the show at emsonthemountain.com or hit us up on social media. We can be found on Facebook and Instagram at EMS on the Mountain, Twitter at EMSOTM, or you can engage with us and a whole community of wilderness EMS professionals at locals.com slash wilderness EMS. Until the next episode, thanks for joining us. And until we see you on the mountain, train hard, be safe, and do good work.